0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, go to uh, Exodus chapter 3 as we continue our series uh, called Ordinary Day. Just an ordinary day. And we've been looking at this cycle of, you know, this idea of we look at our lives and, you know, every day just kind of feels mundane a little bit. I mean, if you look back over this week, you might have had a fun moment here or there, a stressful moment here and there, there, but it just sometimes it feels like we're kind of going from birth to the grave, just trying to survive, just trying to get through process through life instead of living life on purpose. And this series has kind of given us this idea of what if we change this perspective? What if we really change what it looked like to look at each day to try to say, what is God doing in this moment to paint this beautiful masterpiece of my life, to tell a story of redemption in my life? When I think about masterpieces that I've had a chance to personally see over the last few years. We've been able to stand in front of the Mona Lisa that Leonardo da Vinci painted. I've been able to stand in the, in the hall of the Sistine Chapel and look at the roof where Michelangelo painted those. And we look at those as complete works. As moments we look and we, we take it all in and go, this is amazing, look at what was accomplished. And we look at these artists and go, "You know, what an amazing job that they did. And it's true, but I don't know if you know, but each one of those great works of art took over four years to complete. And I'm sure in that four-year process, at some point, there were very ordinary days for Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci, where they just did a few strokes or looks. Or I'm sure there were days they did something like, that's not good. They had to start over and chisel things away and and start looking at things again. And a lot of times we look at our life and we're like, we don't see the finished project yet, the finished product. And we go, I haven't accomplished anything, haven't done anything. And it's just Ordinary, everyday living. But I want us to see in this series to change this perspective to go this beautiful picture of every ordinary day living and listening to God as we go through life. He is painting this beautiful masterpiece in our life. And we've looked over the past few weeks of how we first saw that with Noah and this building project that he gave Noah. She's kind of living his life and God broke in and says, I want you to build this ark this uh, amazing thing that's going to provide salvation for all mankind. Jared talked about Mary and Martha and this dinner party that was just going to kind of be this day they're hanging out, and Jesus shows up, and then they start to understand peace in their life in a whole new way, just through a simple dinner party. Last week, we looked at Abraham and this pop quiz, this test that God gave him, and how it really showed this unparalleled provision that God has for us. And today, we're looking at a story of a man that I'm sure probably everybody in here has heard of, what we are known as one of the greatest leaders of all mankind, liberators of people in history. He brought an entire nation out of slavery and led them to a new home, and his name is Moses. But the story of Moses is kind of an ordinary story. Before God uses him for that, we find him out just hanging out. Let me give you a little background. It's been about 650 years since the last story, since Abraham, since that time when God called Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, uh, who we've learned about, he was sold into slavery by his own brothers, and through multiple trials, he eventually was named a prince of Egypt. He was second in command to Pharaoh. And during those times, a great famine hit the land, and Joseph's family came to Egypt to look for food. And while they were there, they were reunited with their brother and a and son. And eventually the whole family of Joseph moved uh, from where they were living into Egypt. And about that time, about it was about 70 people, the Bible says, uh, that the family moved and relocated to Egypt, a place that had provision and uh, had the favor of Joseph and the Pharaoh at the time. But while they were there, two things happened. One, it says that the people of Israel began to multiply and grow and be fruitful. And some estimates put that at the time, after another 400 or so years, there were about two and a half million Israelites in the land of Egypt at the time. And so they, they began to multiply. And the second thing that happened, was there, a, there was a Pharaoh that came about. It says they did not remember Joseph. There was a Pharaoh who began to look at the people of Israel as a threat, and he began to enslave the Israelites. And they spent the majority of their 420 years in Egypt as an enslaved people group. And because this pharaoh viewed them as a threat, he began to implement policies to limit their size and their influence. And one of those policies was this. He began to ask and, and, and put into effect that every uh, boy that was born of a Hebrew was killed. He was said, leave the, leave the girls alone, but the boys will kill. So basically he was trying to get rid of uh, their ability to marry their own and saying, all right, the, the girls can marry into Egyptian culture, and become Egyptians, their kid will become Egyptians. He was basically trying to get rid of the Hebrew culture by intermarrying and bringing them completely underneath the Egyptian uh, reign. And this is where we meet Moses during this time, during this moment when uh, the boys of the Hebrew uh, uh, women are being killed. So his mother gives birth, and instead of letting him be killed, it says she hid him for three months, and when she could hide him no longer... You've seen this if you grew up in church, she put him in a little basket and floated him down the Nile River. Now that sounds kind of weird if you're like, all right, but here's the deal. She knew if she kept him any longer to herself, it was certain death for Moses. She could not keep him hidden any longer. So what she did is basically put him in a place in the river that he knew he would be found. And then they schemed. Her daughter was like hanging out down by the river and she could see the little boat coming when Moses in it, and she saw some Egyptian women, like and they saw it, and they brought him in, and they realized he was a Hebrew child, but instead of getting rid of him, they were like, "Let's keep him. Like, let's raise him as one of our own." And she comes in this is Moses' sister, she comes in and says, "Hey, you know what? I actually know somebody who could help, help raise the child for you and nurse the child." And they' were like, "Oh, that's great. Why don't you take the baby to him?" Let her nurse him and then bring us back to him when he gets older. And so who does she take him to? She takes him back to his mother and nurses him and lets him uh, be a part of that culture and then eventually takes him back. And he becomes part of Pharaoh's court because the woman who found him was Pharaoh's daughter. He basically was raised as Pharaoh's grandson. Now, imagine the turmoil Moses must have felt in his mind at that point. He understood Hebrew upbringing. He had been brought up by his own mom. He, had been, he understood that his, his uh, stepmother basically understood he was a Hebrew child, and he saw these Hebrews that were completely enslaved. But yet he was living in a luxurious palace. He was living in the lap of luxury and seeing this tension, enjoying life but also seeing his own people being enslaved. And one day as a young man, he's out, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. He becomes overcome with anger, and in that moment he kills the Egyptian, and he probably thought, you know, it it was a rash decision, but he thought at least the Hebrews will be, you know, kind to me for defending them, but they all of a sudden get mad at Moses, because now they're like, we're going to be blamed for this. You just killed this Egyptian guy. They're going to make things worse for us, so they're like, get away from us, and then he goes back, and then it says Pharaoh found out what he did, and then Pharaoh says, well, let's just kill him, he knew he was a Hebrew, and he's like, let's just go ahead and get rid of him. We should have got rid of him a long time ago. All of a sudden, Moses finds himself without a people, without a palace, without a place. And what does he do? He runs. He runs. And he actually runs for about 40 years. He runs out to the desert. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. Moses has run to the desert. He finds a wife, and he begins to raise a family. He gets into the family business, and he's done. He's out of Egypt. And then here's what happens, Exodus 3.1 one says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Median, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Now maybe you have felt like Moses at some point in your life. You don't fit in. You're not an Egyptian. You're not accepted by the Hebrews. You try to do good, but you just end up messing things up. And you just want to get out and get away. And you were like, I would be so happy right now if I could just go tend some sheep on a hill far, far away. My life would be a lot easier, a lot more peaceful. I could just give up the pressure I'm feeling at work, the pressure I'm feeling at home, the financial difficulties, whatever it is that are piling on and waiting and waiting and waiting you down. Maybe just want to be like Moses, like, I want to be done. I want to get out. I just want to go to a hillside far, far away and tend some sheep. We've all felt like that the beauty of this story that we're going to see today is that God knows these feelings. He understands them. And his love for Moses and the Israelites and for you won't allow him to just leave you in the desert, hidden in the background, living a life of regret and hopelessness. Instead, he is preparing what I'm calling an unexpected calling and purpose for our lives. And this is where we're going to see what happens to Moses. Moses comes to experience an unexpected purpose, something he never thought he would have the chance to do. And this is the story we see in the rest of chapter 3. And let's look at the lessons we're going to look at this. So Exodus 3, verses 2 through 4, let's pick it up. It says, Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him, talking about Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, well, I will... Turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Catch this. Moses was just having an ordinary day, right? Some sheep out on the land, going about his business, and then something catches his eye. Something all of a sudden breaks in and says something is different. He sees this bush burning on fire, but not being consumed. And I love, he's like, all right, I'll turn aside and see what this is. He's like, I'll just, let me just take a small detour and see what this is. And I want you to catch something very simple right here. God often uses unexpected events in our lives to get our attention back on him. Because can I tell you what Moses has been doing for about the last 40 years? Not thinking about much of anything. We don't know. Like, there's no record. He just basically, it says he found a wife and got married. There's nothing wrong with finding a wife and having kids and doing the family business, but he had disengaged. He had disengaged from his heritage. He had disengaged from what God God had been preparing him for, what he had experienced his whole life. He had disengaged from his faith, his relationship with God, and he was off in a desert corner just being away On on the trash heap, kind of, I'm done. And God used an unexpected circumstance to just get his eyes back on him. And I don't know about you, but I can look back in my life when there have been some unexpected circumstances that all of a sudden got my eyes back on God. When it just focused on me like, whoa, whoa." I didn't realize that I was just kind of over here existing. God did not call us just to exist, just to wade through life. He called us to live on a purpose, to live out of purpose. And I don't know where you are today, but I know that if we look at these stories, you're probably in one of two groups this morning. One, you may be here and you're investigating God. You haven't embraced faith yet. We've all been there. We can identify with this. But I want to tell you, there is going to be a day when God calls you, when he asks you to step across the line and place your faith in him. There'll be a burning bush day. When he gets your attention and says, hey, I am here, we're going to have to do something about this. This idea that you realize there's a God and it's not you, you have to come to grips with it. There will be a day that he does that. And there may be a number of reasons that you struggle with how you're going to respond to that call. And I think that you're going to find some truths in Moses' story to encourage you today if you're investigating. But you may be here and you've already placed your faith in Christ. And you're on a journey with God and his people. And along the way, there have been some ups and downs, some victories and defeats. And maybe today you find yourself in a moment of trial or oppression. Maybe you find yourself caught in a season of doubt and questioning. Or maybe you have returned to sin and are allowing it to bring negative consequences into your life. And I think you will also find some truth in Moses' story today to encourage you. Whichever side of this you are on, I believe this story helps you know that God has something for you, whether you're investigating or whether you're trying to pursue him with all you are, God will be faithful to place a burning bush into your life, to make himself his truth, his calling, and his direction for you very clear. So let's look at this journey and learn from it. We're going to jump through this a little bit. I would encourage you kind of after this uh, Sunday, maybe to go back and reread all of Exodus 3 and 4 and see the interactions between Moses and God, and how these all play out. But we're going to, for time's sake, we're going to grab a few of them and look at them. Let's look at verse 9 to start with and see what some of these ideas we can get. And uh, it says this, verse 9 And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. This is God talking. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Let me give you a burning bush idea, number one. One of the ways that God gets a hold of us is this. Faith is learning that your past failures do not define your future usefulness. Your past failures do not define your future usefulness. When I think about me, I I go back about seven and a half, eight years ago. We were, I was working at a job in Georgia. Things were growing great. I was making good money, very comfortable, very happy where I was. And all of a sudden, I got a call one day to go to a meeting on the sixth floor, which is either good news or bad news. It was the top floor of our building. And I thought it was good news. I walked into a room and I walked out realizing it was bad news. Went and packed up my office that day. I was one of 18 people that had been let go because of budget issues. And I was overwhelmed. I felt like a failure empty. I mean, it was a kick in the gut, a kick in my heart of like, I, why me? All of these thoughts that you can think about. I felt unsure about what the next direction was for my life. But it was in the next two months after that, that God began to put within my heart and the heart of our family to consider what it would be like to move to New York City to start a church. And I don't know that I would have ever gotten there without that kick in the gut. Without that failure, I was very tempted during those days, especially within the first few weeks, to just, you know, I I guess I'll just go get whatever job I can and do whatever I can and go to the desert and tend some sheep. That was my thought. But God kept saying, you know, whatever is happening in your life, whatever failure you're feeling right now, it does not determine what I can do for you in the future. There are two key statements in this passage. One, God says, I will send you, and Moses says back to him, but who am I? I've felt that way. Have you ever felt that way when God says, hey, why don't you do this? And you're like, huh, who am I to do that? Moses failed. He had run away, and like many of us he was, are inclined to do, he actually ran away for those 40 years he thought his days of being used by God was over. He went from a life of ease and luxury to a jobless, homeless, countryless setting. Why is it so hard for us to overcome failures sometimes? Failures can make us feel useless, make us feel undeserving, and make us feel tarnished. Let me just give you some truths to think about when it comes to failure. One truth is this. Everybody makes mistakes and everybody has failures. You're not alone. The one thing I can tell you about everybody in this room, we've all failed at something. We've all made mistakes. We all have shortcomings in our life. And when you begin to think and isolate yourself, I'm the only one, I'm the only one who's ever dealing with this. I'm the only one who's ever failed this way. When you start isolating like that, you start letting the failure own you instead of you owning the failure. The truth is this, not everybody handles failures the same way. Some people can jump right back up. Sometimes just because they can jump back up doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. Sometimes we need to stay down on the mat a little bit, recover, learn, and then get back up with our feet under us. Sometimes, though, we lay down on the mat too long and we need to get up. We need to be encouraged to get up, but not everybody handles failure the same way. And the truth is this. Third truth is this. There are consequences to failure, but one of those consequences can be growth and development. It can be growth and development. There, There may be other difficult consequences to failure, but one of the consequences can be growth and development. So how does God, what does he desire for us? And our failures, let me just give you a few things to think about. One, he desires his redemption to be expressed. And whatever failure, he wants his redemption to be expressed. And that can be in the form of forgiveness, where he pours out. Even if this was a big moral failure, something that was totally at your hands, God's redemption, his forgiveness, and his ability to, to come or beside you in your failure is his redemption. Second thing he wants is his restoration to be experienced understand that you can be used again you're useful you're not tarnished, you're not dead, you're not at the end of things, you can be used his restoration to be experienced and then finally his renewal to be embraced, that he doesn't just restore you, he has something new for you this is the biggest truth to me about failure is we think sometimes overcoming failure means getting back to what we were going can I tell you That's not, going back to something is not always the best way to overcome something. And what renewal means is this, getting over failure means moving forward to something new. Something new, not back to what we were. A key thought I want you to hear is this, personal failure is one of God's most effective tools for spiritual development. When we fail, God can use that for our own spiritual development. But beware of this. Personal failure is one of man's greatest barriers to personal development. We use it as a reason we can't grow. Where God wants to use it as a ladder to overcome, we use it as a shovel to dig our own graves. Failure does not define your future effectiveness. Moses had to overcome that. Jump over to chapter 4. We see another lesson here, and it says this. 4 verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, so you tell me to do all this stuff, behold, they will not believe me. They will not listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. For the Lord said to him, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it, which I would do too. And the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand again. And then there are a couple of key statements here that we have to learn. Moses says, they will not believe me. I don't have the authority. Nobody's going to believe what I say. I'm a failure. Look at who I was. They aren't going to believe me. But God says this, what is that in your hand? Throw it down. Throw it down. What was Moses holding on to? The past. What he thought defined him. And God said, why don't you throw that down and pick up something new? God was very quick to let Moses know that what he was asking him to do was not going to be based on Moses' ability. It wasn't because Moses was so talented that God called him. It was because he was so broken that God called him. And the second big idea that I want you to see here is this. Faith is our ability to throw down the idea that we can do something to earn God's favor, and instead pick up the idea that God can do anything, anything. Turn a staff into a serpent, and a serpent back into a staff. It's not because the staff was so special. It's not because the way Moses threw it. It's because what God did through Moses. And we've got to throw down this idea that they won't believe me. We've got to throw down the idea that it's up to me to do something to earn God's favor, and instead pick up the idea that God can do anything. Moses was minding his own business. He had put himself kind of on the scrap heap of God's usefulness, and then God shows up and tells him he wants him to do something. His first reaction, like many of us, would be like, nope, nobody's going to listen to me. I don't have any skills. I don't have a cool story. I'm just a broken person stuck out here in the desert who can't even get his own life together. I want you to hear something very clearly this morning. God actually values brokenness. He values it. Throughout scripture, we see a recurring theme. God moves against the arrogant and the self-righteous, but he moves toward the broken and the vulnerable. He doesn't look at your brokenness and think of you as just junk or something to be thrown away. Instead, it is something to be used, to be redeemed, as we mentioned before, and it is your brokenness is what causes your faith to grow. One of the things I love about the Christmas season is all the Christmas specials that are on Right, Charlie Brown, Christmas, Rudolph the Rain- Red nosed Reindeer. One of my favorite, though, is Rudolph. It's like the sequel, Rudolph and the Island of the Misfit Toys. You ever seen that one? I mean, I love that with like all these old broken toys. The elf who wants to be a dentist, you know, is there, and like all these weird conglomeration of people and these toys that just seem odd. But isn't it their oddity that makes them unique? and their uniqueness that makes them special, and that specialness that makes them valuable. Everybody can be like somebody else. But God made you to be you. God shaped you the way you are. Even in your brokenness. God knew that. And he understands that. He doesn't run away from that. When we try to hide it and act self-righteous, and like we got it all together, that's when God says, nope. But when we allow our brokenness to be open and exposed and vulnerable and we say, you know what? Me, just like everybody else in here, I deserve to be on the island of the misfit toys. I don't have it all together. That's when God comes to us. The first step is throwing down whatever is in your hand. Stop holding on to the idea that it's up to me to make myself presentable to God. Throw down your pride. Throw it down. Whatever it is, whatever prideful thing you're I've got to make people think I've got it together. I've got to make people think this about me. Throw it down. Decide that I don't need God's help. Throw that down. Throw down your pain. Throw down this idea that whatever pain you're feeling is beyond God's help. We deal with pain and we go, ah, either I have to deal with it by myself or this is too deep and too hurtful for even God to deal with. Throw it down. Let God do something with it. And then finally, throw down your plan. Thinking that I'm the one who determines how God can fix my future. That I get to tell God instead of listening to God. Because the second part, if the first part is throwing down, the second part of learning to live this way is learning to listen. Listen for and to the voice of God. What God does for Moses is give him clear instructions. He speaks to him, tells him exactly what to do, and he comes through. And why don't we do this? Why don't we listen to God? 'Cause here's what we love to do. We love to tune in to our favorite stations. Whatever voice gives us the most of what we want to hear, we love to use substitute voices for the voice of God. I'm always happy to get a compliment. Right? I mean some if you guys want to come up afterwards, that was the best sermon ever, I'll be like, Oh no. And I, this hand I'll be like, Yeah, keep it keep it coming, right? We love compliments. We love having that kind of word spoken into us. But some of the most Powerful and most effective words that have ever been spoken in my life are words of confrontation. Words that have pushed back on areas of unhealthiness in my life. Areas where I needed to take a stand and I wasn't. And somebody confronted me about it or God confronted me about it. And what we've got to do, if we're going to listen, we actually have to learn sometimes tune in to stations that we don't want to hear. Tune into words and allow words that may challenge us and shape us to come into our lives instead of just the words we already know and we already hear. Listen to God, be attentive, interact with his voice. When God tells you to throw something down, throw it up. When he tells you to pick something else back up, pick it up. Be attentive and be interactive. Finally, the last part that we'll look at is this in chapter 4, verse 10. And then Moses said again to the God, it said to God, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And again, there's another couple of great statements here. Moses says, I am not. I am not this. I am not that. I can't speak, I can't do that, I am not. Whatever he wants to come up with there, we can all come up with I am nots, right? But what does God say? Is it not I? And when you go back to the original language here, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God is saying. Because Moses says, I am not, but then God's response says, am I not? What he's saying is this, I am going to take your knots. There's a lot of knots going on, right? I'm going to take your knots because I am your knots. Whatever your shortcomings are, I am those. I am that. And this is the big idea number three. Faith is learning that your ability to follow God's call is not found in your breadth of our personal abilities, but in the depth of our personal obedience and our willingness to follow, to be obedient. Not just to listen, that like we talked about a second ago, but to actually do. And we can spend our life, especially in the midst of failure, in the midst of feeling inadequate, in the midst of feeling off track, and we can spend our life saying, I am not. I'm not ready. I'm not talented enough. I'm not prepared. I'm I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. We can come up with thousands and thousands of I am nots. what i want you to hear is this every time you say i am not god says you're not but i am you're not but i am i am this is the beauty of our god it's the beauty of what it means to be obedient to god it's not in our strength that he has made strong it's in our weakness and in our brokenness he has made strong this is beautiful because god isn't asking moses to go and be the savior of Israel. That's not the call. We, we look back on the story from this end and go, Moses saved the children of Israel. No, he didn't. God did. Moses went as his spokesperson. Moses went as his representative, as a, a model for the Hebrew people to say, I was broken all the things I was not. I am now through God. He was a model of God's salvation not the Savior himself. And many of us sometimes think we have to be the Savior instead of modeling salvation for other people. And what God calls us to do is simply be a model of salvation. Let God the I am not. Let God be the I am not to your I am not. And how do we do this? How do we develop this dependent nature upon God versus this? Realize that you are not God. You aren't right? You just aren't. I mean, maybe we'd love to be. Maybe if, you know, we think, well, when I die, I'll get my own world, and I'll be, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I don't think that's where we're going, but right in this world right now here, you are not God. You aren't, and when we come to that realization, and this is the moment of faith is realizing I'm not God, but there is a God, and to learn to trust and depend on him, and then what you have to do is learn to release your man-made limitations, the I am nots. Let those go. When you start hearing those in your mind, instead of dwelling on those, dispose of those. Get rid of them. Whatever I am not is floating in your head right now, dispose of that thought. And then third, embrace salvation instead of being the savior. Embrace salvation in your life. The way that you experience salvation will help other people experience salvation. And then finally, Remember that obedience is found in both the big and the small things. I I love Charlie Muratori, one of my dear friends here, but there's a saying he says all the time. It's not that practice makes perfect. It's what? Perfect practice practice makes perfect. Doing the little things over and over again, the small things, the right way, is not just showing up at the big moments, but that perfect practice makes perfect. A beautiful idea of obedience in the big and the small things. Here's why don't you to hear our obedience to the words of God is a direct reflection of our level of faith in the character of God. We will not obey the words of God if we don't believe deeply in who God is—that He is, the I am for our I am nots. I want to close with this thought because it's a great ending here, because God welcomed these questions from Moses. He welcomes them from you. Who am I? They're not going to believe me. I am not. All of these things, all of these questions are ways that Moses and ourselves can come to better understand God and his character and nature. It is a way for us to see the beauty of God's redemption in our life. It grows faith in us to follow. But there is one statement from Moses that we see here that God did not respond to In such a good manner. And it's found in verse 13. And it says this. But again Moses said oh my God. After they've had all this conversation. Please send somebody else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled. Against Moses. Why does this anger God? God's anger didn't come because Moses stopped believing in God. God's anger came when Moses thought that God. Stopped believing in him. You see faith is a two way street. It's us believing in God that he can do anything and everything, that he can overcome any failure, that he can use anyone, but it's also believing that God wants to do that with us, that these rules don't just apply to everyone else but me, that God's unexpected calling for someone else is also God's unexpected purpose for my life. Hear this. You can have faith in God, but don't believe that God has faith in you. This is why God got angry at Moses. He was basically telling God, I believe you can do all these things, I just don't believe you can do them with me. Send somebody else. That's great and all, but I'm too broken. Hear this, your brokenness is not bigger than God's forgiveness. Your shortcomings are not stronger than God's redemption. Your hopelessness is not deeper than God's love and restoration. My question for you today is this, Where are you allowing your own issues to become bigger than God? That's what Moses was dealing with. His own issues, his past, his failures, his feeling of inadequacies, no one will listen to me, all the I am not. He thought God was big, he just thought those were bigger. Where are you allowing your own issues to become bigger than God? And would you allow faith to flourish in your life by remembering that God is bigger than anything we will ever encounter and bigger than any issue that will define us. Will you pray with me? Just in a quiet moment here, just like God came to Moses in a burning bush out in the middle of nowhere, maybe this morning is a burning bush for you. Maybe I got your attention and you're like, you know what? I've been living life off the I am not. I've been hiding because of failure. I've been feeling inadequate because I don't think anybody will listen to me. I don't know what to do. Let's just take a few moments. And in faith, come to God with whatever issue you have say God I need you to be bigger than this and allow him to t- say am I not bigger take a few moments and talk to God dear Heavenly Father it is for some of us it's easy to believe this about you that you can overcome anything you're bigger than anything but God it's hard for us to believe it about it that you believe that about us that that applies to us me, God, I pray all around this room this morning that we would be set free from the idea that our problems, our issues are bigger than you. And that, that we would have a burning bush moment this morning that we can look back on to, that we can set an anchor in and go, there was a day that God told me and showed me that he is bigger. Bigger than any I am not in my life, and begin to live his salvation out. God, we love you, and we are so grateful that you have chosen to teach us, to reveal your truth to us. God, not to keep us at a distance, but God, when we admit our brokenness and our weakness to you, you come close. God, allow us to embrace that this morning, and allow us to then live out maybe an unexpected purpose in our life that we never thought we could do before. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.